significant resource next to the Word of God, which is the person of His Holy Spirit. So it seemed appropriate to me to today uh, just sort of pause uh, Genesis 8 and 9, which we would have been doing today until next week, and then uh, observe uh, Pentecost and, and take some time and talk about this. So turn in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 2. We're going to take a look at verses 1 through 21. Uh, review the, for the most part for most of us. And of course, just back in January, we did a series on the Holy Spirit, although we did not focus in that series specifically on Pentecost um, itself. Uh, we just focused on um, uh, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and those kinds of things. So today, we're going to focus on the day of Pentecost. So, uh, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Lord God, thank you for the reading of your word. And as we consider these things today, as we consider the birth of your church and the significance of these things, may you remind us and refresh us today of the simple need that we have to be endued with power from on high, just as the first disciples did. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So the Feast of Pentecost, or uh, the Day of Pentecost, uh, when the Day of Pentecost had fully come. I think we all know it's the day the Holy Spirit came upon the church. But may, what may be lost on us is the fact that Pentecost is actually one of the seven feasts that Israel observed and it's one of the required feasts, and we're gonna talk about that, but I wanted to just go over that with you briefly this morning, um, and there is a, a point to this, but there are seven main feasts per year, and I've put them in order here according to the religious calendar, the Jewish religious calendar. So you have the Feast of Passover on Nisan 14, that's when um, the, the lamb is uh, chosen, and of course we know for Jesus that's when um, he was crucified, then you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days following that. And then uh, in the middle of the, un the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you have the Feast of Firstfruits. Um, and then uh, seven Sabbaths later, 49 days plus one, you have uh, the Feast of Pentecost, 50 days later. That's what we'll talk about this morning. And then there's sort of a break. You can see there uh, the first month, first month, first month, third month, and the seventh month. So these are kind of grouped together. Um, and then you have in the fall, the, the fall feast, the Feast of Trumpets, uh, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Ingathering. So as we consider these things this morning, here's what these feasts were about and so it provides a little bit of a context to us as we come to the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. Uh, the purpose is on the right. So the Feast of Passover was, of course, to remember and commemorate Israel's deliverance from the hand of Pharaoh and from Egypt. 
and how God did that so dramatically uh, for the, his children, the nation of Israel. Then the Feast of Unleavened Bread connected to that was remembering the haste of the departure. Uh, remember, they had to get out quickly, and the Lord gave them instructions very quickly on how to have the Feast of the Passover, and then he said, do so with unleavened bread, and um, that would remind them that they didn't have time to go through the proper preparation process. Uh, we also know that leaven was a type of sin, and for all of the feasts, uh, six of the seven feasts, I should say, uh, unleavened bread is used for that very reason that, that leaven is a type of sin, but in the Feast of Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, it's interesting that they use leavened bread, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, so the Feast of First Fruits was recognizing the Lord's bounty and the land, so what they did on that day was the priest would take um, a sheave, uh, so they would, when they would harvest a field, for example, they would take the, a corner of the field that represented approximately a, a tenth or so, and they would take that and cut it and bind it together, the very first that was harvest, and they would bring it into the temple or to the tabernacle, give it to the priest, and the priest would take those first fruits uh, from the crop of the, of the people, the farmer, and they would, uh, as the priest would go in before the Lord, he would take that, that offering from, that represented the bounty of the blessing of God on their lives, and he would do what was called a wave offering. Um, some people think he took it sort of like a, a bunch of flowers and waved it like this, but as we understand it, it was more so that he held it like this and waved it like this before the Lord. And the point was he was presenting it before the Lord as sort of, in a sense, a tithe or an offering, and it was called the first fruits that we come and we give the best of what God blesses us with back to him to honor him as the blesser, and we as the receiver of the blessing. Uh, so that's the point of the, the uh, feast of first fruits. And so then we come uh, 50 days later to the Feast of Weeks, which is its formal name. And uh, it's also called the Feast of the Harvest. And so this was to, to sort of uh, capitalize on or to come back to the Feast of First Fruits and to show the joy and the thankfulness for the Lord's blessing of the harvest. So the Feast of First Fruits was the beginning of the harvest. And the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest was at the end of the harvest. So over that seven weeks, everyone had harvested everything that God had blessed them with. That was the harvest time in Israel in the spring. And at the end of that harvest time, they would come and uh, come back to worship the Lord. And, and in all of these, we'll see in just a moment as we go through some of the scriptures that talk about this, they would come and bring something before the Lord. So they brought something before the Lord at the beginning, the Feast of First Fruits, the very first of what God had blessed them with, and they offered the best of what God had blessed them with. And then at the end of the harvest, to rejoice and celebrate the bounty as the harvest had been completed, they would again come back and bring more to offer to the Lord. And in addition to that, they also offered animals and other forms of sacrifice. And in both of these situations, uh, the scriptures say every person who came had to bring something. And so the point here is that every person who came had to bring something to honor the Lord. They had to bring something to give back to the Lord. They have bring, had to bring something to bless the heart of God because God has blessed their hearts in the process. And we're not going to go through the, 
other ones per se, but the Feast of Trumpets, presenting Israel before the Lord for his favor, uh, Day of Atonement, uh, the priest would be sanctified and the people would be sanctified. The priest would go in and make offering for all of the people, of course, on the Day of Atonement, go into the most holy place. And then the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Booths or Ingathering, memorialize the journey from Egypt to Canaan and give thanks for the bounty in Canaan as they arrived at the Promised Land. So what is the point of all this and what does this have to do with the Feast of Pentecost? If you can bear with us for a moment, we'll get there. So in Deuteronomy 16, this is where we're told three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord, your God, in the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So those were the three mandatory feasts for all Jewish males out of the seven meaning they had to go to Jerusalem for that. Um, Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. So there's the idea there that as they went to any of the feasts, they were to come with something. uh, And it said there, give as you're able. So come, don't show up empty-handed before the Lord. Prepare something, come with something. And I think something we can glean from that as New Testament believers is when we come to worship the Lord, we come prepared to worship him. And we can worship him in many, many different ways. Of course, it's with, with our giving is one way, but you know, in our hearts as we come, come prepared to give praise and honor and thanksgiving to the Lord. Um, and so the idea is that we come prepared to give back to the Lord of our heart, of our allegiance, of our attention, of the bounty that he's given to us. And the Feast of First Fruits, and and again, the the Feast of First Fruits and the Feast of Weeks are connected. The Lord spoke to Moses here, saying, when you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when you have waved the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Does that sound familiar? Offering a lamb on the feast of first fruits? Jesus had died during this period, right? The feast of Passover. And as we just went over that, the feast of first fruits is tucked in there, uh, like the day after the Passover. So it's really interesting, or two days after the Passover, so it's interesting, while Jesus was in the grave, it says here, you shall bring a lamb before the Lord. And Jesus himself became our perfect sacrifice. Um, And then at the bottom there, you shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. So there's sort of an added thing here in terms of consecration to the Lord that at the Feast of Firstfruits, as they came and they brought their offering to the Lord, that they also came and they fasted as they came before the Lord. So just that extra act of worship, that extra act of focus upon the Lord. Then the Feast of Weeks, uh, again, that's covered here a little bit later in Exodus 20, excuse me, Leviticus 23. It tells you here how to count it, you know, count 50 days after the seventh Sabbath. Um, 
50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, which is 49 plus one, then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. So the interesting thing about this offering, and this is the Feast of Weeks, also the Feast of Pentecost, is that Jewish tradition has it that the day that God gave the law to the nation of Israel was this very day, the Feast of Pentecost. And then here in the New Testament, that God also on the same day that he gave the law to Moses, which was one of the things the Jewish people remembered and celebrated, is the same day that God gave the spirit of grace to his church. So you can see how God took this and appropriated it for a new thing. It's very similar to what Jesus did with the Lord's table, isn't it? On the Lord's table, uh, the, the feast of Passover, we know that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, as we review this almost every time we take communion together, that Jesus, after supper, took a cup. And the cup that he took was the third of four cups that were passed around during the Passover Seder. And that third cup was the cup of redemption. And Jesus took that cup of redemption that was under the old covenant, and it was covered by the animal sacrifices and bringing the lambs and bringing uh, the birds and bringing whatever you could as an offering for yourself to, to appease God and to satisfy his wrath and to atone for your sin, especially the day of Yom Kippur, the day of, of atonement. As things were brought before God, you know, it was a continual thing. The book of Hebrews expounds on this for us and talks about sort of the laborious effect of having to constantly sort of keep track of your sins and take sacrifices to the priest and offerings to the priest, keeping the Sabbath to make it holy, and then, of course, observing the feast and then keeping the day of Yom Kippur. So it was just this laborious thing. It was a wonderful thing. God gave them a way under the law to come to him, but it was this constant churn when we think about our sins, uh, today as we're under grace and we have the ability to confess our sins to the Lord and just come and say, Lord, I'm sorry, and to ask his forgiveness and then if necessary, go apologize to people. Now consider under the old covenant, you had to take an offering to the priest. I mean, there was a formality and a somewhat a rigidity to the process. And so Jesus now at the Lord's table takes that third cup, the cup of redemption that was pointing to the sacrificial system, and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. And this is the cup of, you know, that's my blood shed for you. And Jesus in like manner here, the Lord in like manner, takes this whole process here and he appropriates it through the, the feast of Pentecost, and he says, this is the Lord. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has become our first fruit. And on the day of Pentecost, 50 days later, there's something new that's going to happen. And we're going to get into, in just a moment, some of the scriptures that point to the glorious nature of how God takes the day of Pentecost and changes it for the church. So uh, they shall be made as a burnt offering to the Lord with the grain offering and their drink offerings and an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Uh, the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And so there's all these other things here, but those are the, the highlights of this section that I wanted to mention to you. So 
Jesus was resurrected the day um, just following the first fruits. Um, and then we see here in 1 Corinthians 15, as Paul points to this, he says, but now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and afterward those who were Christ at his coming. So again, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, this is the only feast which uses uh, leavened loaves of bread. And notice they are told there in the Levitical passage, to bring two loaves. So why two and, and not just one? Uh, most believe that this is indicative of both Jews and Gentiles. And you see, there was always this thing in the Old Testament where God wanted the Gentiles to come. That's why the outer court was called the court of nations or the court of the Gentiles. That God wanted there to be a way for the Gentiles to come into the, the salvation that God offered. But we know in the New Testament that times that had been changed, and of course that's why Jesus came and twice cleansed the temple, because they had made it the place of merchandise. They had taken the place that should have been the place that anyone from any nation could come to the Lord and come to worship God. And they had made it a place of, uh, of commerce, and they had prevented it from being a place that people could come in and freely seek God and pray. And so, uh, Christ became the first fruit. And there was always the idea that the Jews and the Gentiles should join together under the banner of God and of the salvation that God offers. But unfortunately, in the Old Testament system, the Hebrews had taken it and made it a thing that was exclusive to them. And they made it incredibly difficult for anyone who was not a Jew to come into the salvation that God wanted to offer. And he had always wanted Jews and Gentiles to come together. And so the reason people believe that this is indicative of both the Jews and the Gentiles is that these are, these are men, these are human beings, men and women. And as long as we live on this side of heaven, we have sin, don't we? We have to deal with our sinful natures. And so uh, in the case of Pentecost, this is indicative that Jew and Gentile become one in Christ in the church as we come into the church together. And we believe this is one of the purposes that Jesus instituted the church, is that in Christ, and he said this in many places, there's, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, barbarian, Scythian, male nor female, they're all in Christ and all are one. We come together, we're unified in Christ. We also see the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit comes and reappropriates the day of Pentecost. And he takes this feast and turns it to be about Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. The church is born because of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said throughout his ministry, like John 14, 16, I will pray and the Father, he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, he dwells with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Now this is Jesus talking about not just in that 40 days between, so between the Feast of First Fruits and the Feast of Pentecost or the day of Pentecost, Jesus came and appeared to them for 40 days, right, in between, and then he left them for about a 10 day period that they should go into the upper room and seek him, and so we'll come to that in a moment. That's what was happening on the day of Pentecost. 
But also when he says, I will come to you, it was not just that 40 days that Jesus appeared to them, but now he's saying, you know, as I go, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. So I will come to you in the form of the Holy Spirit and he will testify of me. He says in John 14, 21, I will love him, meaning whomever he comes to, and manifest myself to him. The way Jesus would manifest his continual presence to you and me was through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Now we're getting to the intent and the spirit behind the spirit himself coming on the day of Pentecost and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now it's interesting, we've been going through Luke and our devotional that we post online and so as we've been doing this, which I've been enjoying and uh, just so thankful for Pastor Mitch and the insights that God gives him. If you're not looking at that, by the way, this is a shameless plug to go to Facebook every morning and check out the devotional. We're having a great time with it. But we just covered where Jesus sent out the 12 disciples two by two and then coming up in the next few days this week, we're coming to where he sent out the 70 two by two. And I think part of the reason Jesus did that was not only so that they would learn to to have to trust him, but that they would have a very distinct black and white before and after experience because what they did when they went out two by two and they went out in a group of 70 two by two and what they experienced there was without the effective power of the Holy Spirit, but what they experienced from the day of Pentecost going forward was dramatically and radically different. And so their ability to bear witness was so different after the presence of the Holy Spirit had come and fallen upon them. And when he was, uh, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, so this is now starting to get to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, um, Uh, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So this is the work of the Spirit and the life of the unbeliever in the world. And then, you know, this is something we studied back during our um, study on the Holy Spirit. Then coming back down into John 16, however, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, again, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you of things to come. How much more do we need the person and the presence and the power and the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit? Don't we need to hear what God wants us to hear? Don't we need to hear the the things that he wants to speak to us? Don't we long to hear the things that he will tell us, especially the things to come? And it comes through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit and then Jesus says again, he will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So it's like the Holy Spirit becomes our personal teacher, our spiritual tutor in the things of Christ. And all things that the Father has are mine. Doesn't that seem like a bold statement? Wouldn't it be more like all things that I have are the Father's? But Jesus is declaring here his deity. All things that the the Father has are mine. 
You know, God has given him everything and then in the same way, he shares them back with the Father and he shares those things with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So the essential importance of the Holy Spirit bringing to us what is of Jesus. And then in Luke's gospel, Luke said at the end, and then this was at the end of the day where he had gone with the, the, on the road with the two disciples to Emmaus. And so this is after they had had that experience, gone out to Emmaus, and they've come back to Jerusalem, and he's in the upper room with the disciples. And he says that uh, repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, meaning the Christ, the Messiah. And he says, and you are witnesses of these things. So you've been witnesses, meaning you've seen them, but now the things that you've seen, the things that you know will be empowered by the Holy Spirit as he will call those things to mind and use them for the glory of God. Verse 49, behold, I send the promise of my Father. Now prior to now, he's been saying, I will send the helper, helper, I will send the comforter, I will send the Spirit, and now he's referring to that same thing as the promise of my Father. So this is something that Jesus is saying, the Father promised to him. And what I've been telling you about the Holy Spirit has, is not just something I'm telling you, it's come directly from the heart of God. I will send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So in those 40 days that Jesus appeared to them between uh, his resurrection and the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, they are there waiting on the Lord, waiting for Jesus to come and endue them with power from on high. And after he had met with them for those 40 days and then he pulled back and departed from them, there's that 10-day period leading up to what we now know to be the day of Pentecost. And so here we are, on the day of Pentecost, and as it says there, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, this is the 50th day, this is 10 days after Jesus had departed, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Jesus said about the person and work of the Spirit, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So he's talking here about the mysterious nature of the Spirit, about the fact that we can't see and touch the Spirit. But just as we can see the effect of the wind, and we certainly we've seen it this morning, right? Driving here, the trees are, are moving around and blowing. There's a gentle breeze. It's just a, a beautiful day out. We don't question that the wind exists. We can see the effect of the wind, and that's what he's saying here. So it is with the Spirit. Now, on this day, the day of Pentecost, the day of the coming of the Holy Spirit, isn't it interesting that Jesus allowed the Spirit to come with the sound of a mighty rushing wind? And as the Spirit came, I wonder if they were able to call this to mind and to remember that this would be something that Jesus would use to call their attention to who God was. And it says, and then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them. 
So let's not make the mistake of, of thinking that it was fire. It says that there were divided tongues as a fire or as of fire. So whatever it was that they saw, just when, when we see the word like, they're trying to find a way, they're trying to find words to describe what did they see. Today, if this happened here in this room, we might say something like we saw something that appeared to be like a light bulb over each person's head. So there, there was something that was distinctive. There was some kind of light. Perhaps it was like a flickering flame of fire. We don't know. But it was something distinctive. And something unique is happening here. This is the very first time that the Holy Spirit is coming and, if you will, alighting upon each person. Each person has their own relationship with the Holy Spirit for the very first time. Each person has a very unique and intimate relationship through the person and work of the Holy Spirit back to Jesus, back to the Father. Jesus said earlier, uh, excuse me, John said this of Jesus earlier, Matthew 3, indeed, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who was coming after me, speaking of Jesus, is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So on this day, on the day of Pentecost, Jesus is the baptizer. He's the one baptizing his church and his people in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't know what they were thinking, but here's a couple of passages to sort of tickle your mind a little bit, is Exodus chapter two, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire, this is Moses, from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that um, he, that is Moses, turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and he said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place, take off your sandals, excuse me, take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I wonder if they thought of these things. When God appeared to his people at various times, uh, using fire, using wind. Exodus 24, 17, the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain and the eyes of the children of Israel. So now Moses is up the mountain waiting upon the Lord. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And we're told in that story that as Moses was there, uh, probably what they would have described something like a weather system. There was a cloud, there was thunder, there was lightning, there was wind. There were all these things that were happening. And perhaps they thought of these things. And then we are told just a little bit earlier in the book of Acts, as uh, they were assembled there uh, with Jesus, this was before he had departed, and he says in Acts 1.5, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Uh, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but calling their attention back to the primary point, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
So Jesus himself is telling them, he's telling us that the, the, the reason for the day of Pentecost, the reason for the coming of the Holy Spirit, the reason for the baptism of the Spirit, the sending of the Spirit to the church is so that we might have power to be his witnesses wherever we go. And that is a wonderful thing. So as we continue on here, we are told that uh, they uh, had divided tongues as of fire that came upon them, and then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The emphasis from Pentecost onwards is the personal relationship of God to the believer through the Holy Spirit. The inner pillar of fire burns away our dross uh, using uh, with flames into our inner being and brings us to a sense of God's presence and power. You see this holy fire of God that comes upon or comes into the life of the believer is there to give us a deeper relationship with the Lord, but also to give us an empowerment that we might be his witnesses. Now Jesus said in chapter one, as we just read, that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that of course means to be immersed or to be submerged or to be identified with. And so Jesus said the Spirit would come upon them in such a way that they would receive that kind of experience. And in Acts 2.5, we find that there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And in those following verses, we have listed out people representing 15 different nations who were there on the Feast of Pentecost because they were there. Remember, this was one of the three compulsory feasts. And as they were there, we find that uh, God divinely on this day had everybody he needed present to get the word out. Because now as the Holy Spirit came upon these 120 people in the upper room, we're told that's how many people were there, that they all began in that moment to speak with tongues, meaning other languages that were not known to them but were known to the people around them. And uh, somehow this, was, this happened in such a way, whether it was just in that upper room or where they, they were in an upper room around the temple or they even came out of that upper room. And as they did, their voices were heard. And the people were told in verse 11, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And so as they were speaking, the first thing that they were speaking was not the gospel per se, but they were just praising God. They were honoring God. And there's, this, there's so many passages that could speak to this, but what came to my mind was Psalm 16, where David said, uh, just praying back to the Lord, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So the joy of the Lord, and we know certainly that joy was one of the fruit uh, manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And so the people heard the declarations of the wonderful things of God, the, the mercies of God, the grace of God in their own language. And it says, they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And others were mocking, saying they are full of new wine. And I don't know if they said that because they, to them, perhaps resembled uh, people who were under the influence of wine, or that was the best explanation that they could come up with overseeing how God was working and moving ab- among them. You know, and I think this points out something very important to us that often 
we see something that God does, especially, especially if God does something supernatural or miraculous, and we attempt to explain it in a way that makes sense to us. And uh, while we understand that, we also want to be cautious with that because if God is doing something, we want to take time to understand what God is doing rather than labeling it from our limited experience vocabulary. You know, Paul said in Ephesians 5, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they heard on that day. And so as they said, whatever could this mean, Peter then stood up among them. And as Peter stood up with the 11, he raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. So rather than you know, get upset or something like that, Peter just stood up and said, look, here's the explanation. You, know, you have a, a legitimate question, let's just give you the biblical explanation for what's happening. And so what he said in verse 16, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. So let's stop there for a moment because there's a break in thought in the Joel prophecy here. This first part of what Peter speaks is explaining what's happening. What is this phenomena that's taking place as all of these people under the influence and overcome by the Holy Spirit are now speaking in tongues unknown to them in other languages. They're declaring the excellency and the praises of God. And from the very get-go, as the Holy Spirit came upon them, they began to be witnesses to God. Now, I want to challenge this morning what it means to be a witness to God. Often we think it means I've got a gospel tract in my back pocket, and I'm equipped with John 3.16, and I can spit some Bible verses at you and give you a tract and say, God bless you. That's certainly one way to be a witness but the way that they were witnessing was under the influence and the power, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And God saw fit in that moment on that day to make the initial witness to be people just praising God. And so the worship of God became the witness. The praise of God became the witness. What does that say to me and what should that say to us? The power of of a life, of a heart giving over to worship. You know, worship is so important, isn't it? It's not just an act, it's not just singing songs. Worship's an attitude. And whether we're singing a song, or as we read last week in Psalm 50 about praising God with the timbrel and the harp and the loud cymbals and the drums, hey man, somebody can come up here and, and rip off a drum solo and it can be worship to God. You see, worship is an attitude. 
And whether God's given you a musical ability to play an instrument or a voice that you can sing or just a heart attitude that says, God, I love you and you just wanna just, God, thank you so much and just have a thankful heart. Worship is so important. And God uses worship as a way to draw people in. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard people say as they've come in, perhaps somebody's invited them to a church service or whatever, or they stumbled into a church service, and they get in there and they see people worshiping and standing up and singing at the top of their lungs and raising their hands to the Lord and closing their eyes and smiles on their faces and joy in their hearts, and they're like, what is going on here? And the very worship of God becomes the gospel that they need to hear because it draws them close to God. It draws them into a place of acceptance. It draws them into a place of fellowship and intimacy which we all long for. And so as Peter is bringing this word from the prophet Joel, he says it shall come to pass in the last days. So the first thing he's saying here is the last days have begun because the spirit has come upon the church and we've entered a new era, we've now entered what we would like to call the church age, the time where the spirit of grace has come upon the people of God. And that's the very time that we're living in right now. And I believe we're gonna be living in that time until the time when God comes in the rapture of the church to take his church out of the way so that the antichrist can come and begin to do his work and usher in the time of the tribulation. So we are officially, in my opinion, in this time called the last days that were ushered in on the day of Pentecost. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. And so when Jesus did that, when he baptized his church, he began to baptize them, the Jew first, in the spirit. Now, to fast forward a bit, in Acts chapter 10, when the Spirit came uh, through Peter upon the household of Cornelius out at Joppa, remember that? Now the Spirit brings the baptism of the Spirit to the Gentiles. So on the day of Pentecost that came upon the Jews and on the, the day of uh, the baptism at Cornelius' house, Acts chapter 10, the Spirit comes upon the Gentiles, the two loaves on the day of Pentecost. And I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. What he's saying here by this is no one's off limits. In other words, we need to stop thinking, well, well, I could never be someone God uses. Listen, man, if you, God, come upon me, please. Use me, use my life. You see, there's no restriction to who the Holy Spirit wants to use. There's no issue of of gifting. There's no issue of ability. It's availability. It's do you want to be used by God? If you have just an inkling in your heart, a mustard seed of faith, God use me. Listen, he's more than willing. Whether you're an old man or a young man, an old woman, a young woman, you'll see prophecies, you'll have visions, you'll dream dreams, and on my men servants and on my maid servants, you see it's male or female, it doesn't matter. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And then there's a break in thought in the passage, and if you look in verse 19, it's, he shifts to the time of the tribulation. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath 
blood and fire and vapor of smoke. So this is telling us that this prophecy, this time of the coming upon of the Spirit is bounded by the day of Pentecost when he comes and the time of the tribulation when the Spirit pulls the people of God out. Then he says, and I will show wonders in heaven, uh, heaven above and the signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and the awesome day of the Lord. That's the time of the second coming. That's, he's speaking here by the cataclysmic signs that he's describing of the time of the great tribulation, the last half of the tribulation. So he's pointing here to the fact that there's, there's a bounding, so to speak, to the, the grace of God as he comes and he works in the world. But in verse 21 he says, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Again, an age of grace. In an age where, look man, if you're just willing to be the witness and let God use you however he wants to use you, whether that's through worship and praise or some gift he wants to give you or ability or because of a unique talent that he wants to give you or whether he wants to make you an evangelist or whether he wants to make you a timid prophetess, whatever God wants to do, let him do it in your life so that it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's the goal, right? We want everybody we know, I hope, who doesn't know the Lord to come to know the Lord. Now as we draw this to a close this morning, I just want to point out something. The early church had none of the things that we think are so essential for success today. Buildings, money, political influence, social status, and I added in there the internet, social media, live services, a global presence. And yet the church won multitudes to Christ and saw many churches established throughout the Roman world. Why? Why were they so effective? Why were they so used? Because the church had the power of the Holy Spirit energizing its ministry, they were a people ignited by the Spirit of God. Now I'm going to get personal as we close. You can leave now if you want. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, didn't he? It's a scripture we don't like to think about. I don't like to think about it. I want to extend that a bit. Out of the abundance of the heart, the fingers post on Facebook. About probably 65 to 70% of the people I know on Facebook that are my friends are Christians, and the other 35% or so are not. And I want you to consider this today as you, as you exit. If all people have to know about you is what you post on Facebook, what's the message? I'm just asking you to consider that. What is the message? If a forensic historian came along in 30 or 40 years and they dug up your, all your Facebook history or your, all of your Instagram history, what would the message be of your life? What is it that you're most passionate about that you post on Facebook? I'm not saying we don't have freedom. The power of the Holy Spirit was to be witnesses, right? 
to a lost and a dying world? What's your message? What's your mission? What's your method? And I hope that by being reminded today on the day of Pentecost that we are just as much in desperate need of the baptism of the Spirit, of the filling of the Spirit, that we might be his witnesses. You know, God can use anything we say or post on Facebook, okay? I'm not telling you what to post, okay? Don't, I'm not going there. I'm just saying, this, is, this has become for us today in our society our major outlet for expression. We see something on the news we don't like, we post about it. We see something on Facebook we, do, we agree with or we don't agree with, we post about it, we react to it. Let's just, I'm just saying, folks, let's be careful. Let's be careful with what our message is. Let's ask ourselves before I hit enter, is this of the Holy Spirit? Is this going to be used, hopefully, by God? Am I consecrating to this to the Lord, this post? Am I doing it so that God can be glorified and so that people can be one to Christ? I'm just asking you to take the lens of Scripture and evaluate what you're reading and what's out there and what you're reacting to and what you're posting. Because out of the abundance of the heart, we speak, we post, we type, we write. And I just want to encourage you, I'm not looking to put an unnecessary burden upon you, but I think we, as a society as a whole, and as Christians in particular, I think we've gone off track. Now pray, seek the Lord, and post. But do so to the glory of God. Do it according to the work of the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And when Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, he said, if we quote it in the original text and all of that, the, the, the verb tenses, be ye continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave us his church, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, that we might be conformed to the image of Christ, that we might be emboldened to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remote part of the uh, earth. In New England, in New Hampshire, where we live. And listen, Facebook and those kinds of things, they give us reach, don't they? I have friends all around the country, all, and, and I have people in other countries that I'm friends with. There, there are people who, you know, through work, they're like, hey, can I, can I become your friend? Now I've got people at work who are my friends, and they're seeing what I'm posting. Do I, I want to be out there venting my feelings about whatever I'm reacting to in the news, and that's what I want to be known for? Or do I want to be known for being winsome and drawing people to Christ? I just want to encourage you this morning, man. Maybe we need a fresh focus, a fresh filling of God's Holy Spirit. And I, I pray that that will permeate who we are and everything that we do. How we act, how we react, how, what we think. Listen, man, I'm a mess. I don't know about you. You may, you may think because I stand up here, I've got it all together. I don't. We need the Lord on this side of heaven. The work's not done. The work's not done in me, and the work's not done out there. So this morning as we pray and close, we're gonna ask that the Lord might bring a fresh filling of his Holy Spirit 
on this day of Pentecost that we remember and that he might do again what he's always been wanting to do, to bring glory and honor to himself and to use imperfect, flawed vessels in that process. Amen. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you, Jesus. We bless you. Lord, fill us with your spirit. We just ask you this morning, would you do that? God, we're leaky vessels. We're, we're messed up, Lord. We just admit it, we're messed up. But we need you, Lord. We need you so desperately. Would you fill us with your love this morning? Cleanse us afresh and anew. For those of us, Lord, this morning as we sit here, perhaps realizing we've, we've never known you, then, God, we just pray for those, those people that in this moment they would become brothers and sisters in, in the body of Christ. They would give their hearts to you, that they would pray and just say, Jesus, come into my life. I, I turn to you from myself. I repent, and I want to follow you now. God, forgive me. Cleanse me. Clean me up. Make me fresh in you. Make me a part of the, the family of God. And God, for all of us who are your children already, Lord, just fill us up, Lord. Baptize us afresh and anew. Lord, if there's things in my life and our lives that we need to forsake and confess and repent, then we do so this morning. And we ask you, God, to make us vessels of love and grace. Let this be a day just like it was 2,000 years ago where you came upon your church and new things began. New wine was poured into new wineskins on that day. The Spirit came, empowerment came, and in 30 years they reached their then known world with the gospel of Jesus Christ because of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, may you do that here. May there become a, a third great awakening here in these days, in these, these last days, and what we believe are the end of the last days as we, we come up to a time that's growing ever increasingly more intense and crazy. And God, we pray that the church would rise up in a time like this. And when these things happen, like what happened in Minneapolis, that God, the church would be there to put our arms around people and to declare the love of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying and broken world. Oh God, fill us this morning and make us your vessels. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. Lord bless you. Uh, for those of you online, we love you, we miss you, we're looking forward to when you're able to come back and be with us. So have a blessed day and a blessed week. We have one closing worship song. We'll have the worship team back in a couple of weeks as soon as we can uh, get our act together. We've been in hibernation for 10 weeks, so we'll, we're, we're bringing back live worship, so bear with us on this, but we have one song to close as we head out, so thank you very much. God bless you.